Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. Today is episode 28. I'm Ryan Baser, your host as usual. And today I'm excited to have on State Rep Yusuf Rabi out of the 53rd District of Ann Arbor. Thank you for being on, Rep Rabi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Always a pleasure. And over in Lansing today, Kevin Pibus, True Cannabis. We got the helicopters flying over us uh, at the Capitol. What's happening over uh, Geyer? Oh, not much, man. Just hanging, hanging low, uh, trying to avoid any any kind of issues. Super excited to have Rep. Robbie on the show today. Uh, he's been a, a a great supporter for the cannabis movement, so I'm I'm excited to talk to him. Awesome, awesome. Tom at Real Leaf, what's happening, man? Good afternoon. Oh man, it's a beautiful day on the farm. Finally got some snow up here, so yeah, excited for today's guest, and uh, let's get rolling. All right, we will. So. Uh, Rep. Robbie, uh, you know, definitely an Ann Arbor guy, uh, born and raised, born, well, born in Ypsilanti, raised in the north side of Ann Arbor, and uh, came up as a county commissioner, uh, went to University of Michigan first, and then became, at 2016, when uh, myself, and I know a lot of us started learning about uh, uh, Rep. Robbie statewide, um, and is still a state rep, and, uh, you know, I remember when that, that race was happening, and it was Jeff, Jeff Irwin was, uh, you know, term limited out, and he, you know, we talk about that a lot on this show. He was the only politician that would talk to us in 2010, <laughs> early on. So uh, we were concerned who's going to replace uh, uh, Rep. Irwin. So then when we got to know uh, Rep. Robbie early on, and he's been, uh, if it's possible, maybe a bigger supporter even for us than, than Rep. Irwin, at least the same. And we're real thankful for that. Uh, you know, we, we've also talked about on this show. I know I think uh, Kevin's brought it up a couple times is uh, Rep. Robbie's speech up at the MICIA um, this past summer. You know, that got a lot of a lot of attention. Um, it, uh, it was channeling uh, maybe Obama a little bit. It was uh, it was it was good and uh, just all around a huge supporter of Michigan cannabis. We can always count on Rep. Robbie uh, to talk to us and to support us and to do the right thing on those issues. So, uh, you know, a lot of, I got a lot of questions regarding what's going on in Washington County with the new prosecutor, things like that. But with that, Rep. Robbie, why don't, uh, you know, thank you for being on and why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, how did you get into politics and uh, what's, how you, um, your views on cannabis? Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Ryan. This is awesome. And thanks for that uh, warm introduction. Um, yeah, Jeff Irwin is definitely a mentor of mine. It's somebody that I've learned an incredible amount from uh and uh you know i I do want to give him a lot of credit for giving me a significant amount of policy background um when it comes to this uh cannabis space um and obviously the work that he did in the legislature before me uh you know really helped to set the stage for a lot of the work that i've been doing um and now thankfully i have him as a partner in the senate as well um so that's been fantastic over the last couple of years to have his uh his help and support in that role uh, but I got involved in politics uh, pretty early on, actually. Um, I credit uh, actually my my foray into politics. I go all the way back to uh, my preschool days. And in my preschool, we were uh, 
I, I was going out into the environment basically every day. It was a preschool that was very outdoors focused. And one of the things that we had done was we had adopted a segment of a creek um, near the preschool. And it was our responsibility as kids to go down there and learn about the creek, pull trash out of, out of the creek, plastic bags, shopping carts, stuff like that. Um, and it was a really cool experience to be able to steward that natural resource right in our own backyard. And then to learn about how everything that we did um, at our homes, whether it was putting, you know, uh, pesticides or herbicides on our lawns or the oil that came out of the cars, that all ended up going back into the creek. And that really gave me from an early age the sense that, you know, what happens in our community um, isn't isn't really just something that happens in your backyard. It's something that impacts your whole community. Um, and that really got me uh, thinking a lot about environmental issues, about public service, about stewardship. Um, and that's why when I went to the University of Michigan, I studied environmental science with a specialization in urban planning and ecosystem management. So I was very focused on environmental issues, very active on environmental issues. In college, I also got really involved in uh, anti-war activism. That was during the time that the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were happening. And I was really leaned in on that, organizing protests, anti-war uh, anti activities, and then also uh, a lot of labor activism. I was part of a group called Students Organized for Labor and Economic Equality. We staged a sit-in in President Coleman, the president of the University of Michigan's office. I was one of 12 students that were, was arrested um, as part of that protest. And frankly, I think that moment, more than anything else, was uh, what kind of propelled me into this space this uh, not just wanting to be an activist and fighting for these causes, but wanting to then uh, be a policymaker as well and to be able to channel some of that progressive activism for environment, labor, um, anti-war, all this stuff into uh, the space of policymaking and serving the people of my district um, and the state of Michigan. And then of course, my uh, connection to cannabis, uh, obviously, you know, there's so much uh, in this space that I'm passionate about whether it's, uh, but but one of the big, big areas is of course the criminal justice reform and seeing the massive racial inequities that have evolved and resulted from the war on drugs that's been ongoing. Um, and uh, and really a desire to not only, uh, you know, I, I think this was something that my former colleague Sheldon Neely said at Hashbash a few years ago, it's not just about freeing the weed, it's about freeing the people. And we need to be really focused on that cause of making sure that those that are currently in in the prison system or still have criminal records um, are able to, you know, for, for things that are now legal, uh, we need to make sure that we're getting those people, um, um, you know, out of jail, we're cleaning their records and getting them into the cannabis space if they want to be, um, to actually start owning uh, companies and being part of this economic boom that we're seeing within the cannabis space. So. Really passionate about these issues, really glad to be on this call. That's just a little bit about me and happy to answer any questions that uh, that you guys have. So thanks, Ryan, for having me on. Uh, we appreciate you uh, you being on. And uh, one thing I'm, I've am i become, I guess, forced into, uh, we, we had to get into politics and especially local and state. And uh, now I've become kind of a, I don't know if it's a hobby knowing what's going on a little bit or just whatever, but I'm pretty curious to hear what you think about, obviously, uh, Speaker of the House Chatfield is, is gone and you have a, a new Speaker of the House is uh, Jason Wentworth out of Farwell and he's probably considered, even if that's possible, a little more conservative. Um, so, like, what's your take on things uh, for the next two years? 
I know we've seen stuff in, on MERS and stuff lately on on, on, on things as far as uh, what the Republicans are saying. But do you expect to be able to continue to do criminal justice reform like we did with Chatfield being there? Or do you uh, what's what's your what's your feelings on on that? Um, I'm not sure yet. The jury's still out. No pun intended. But I, I do think that there is going to be some space to have that conversation. I do get the sense that Wentworth is going to be a little bit more focused on uh, things uh, like transparency in government, um, those types of initiatives. It seems like that's uh, an area that he's looking at. And obviously that's been an, a topic of focus for myself um, and a number of other Democrats. It's been a top priority, you know, cleaning up government, making sure that we can have, uh, you know, that, that the public can trust what's going on. And one of the things that I had been working on with uh, Representative Legrand early on in my first term, and then it evolved in our second term to a bipartisan effort, was actually doing um, uh, financial disclosure. Right now in the state of Michigan, we are one of two states in the entire country that does not require public people that are running for public office statewide to disclose where they get their personal wealth from. Hmm. Um, and what that means is that when you're on the floor voting on initiatives, the public doesn't know if you have a conflict of interest on the things that you're voting on. That's unacceptable. And again, 58, uh, 48 states in the country have laws that require financial disclosure. We don't. Um, and so we need to change that. And that's an area where I'm hoping that we can work with the new speaker to hopefully get some movement on those. Now, again, that's not to say that we're not going to do work on criminal justice reform. I think there's a lot that still needs to be done in that space. And I plan to be you know, continuing to push the envelope on that and to push for good um, policy changes in that space. But um, that's just the sense that I get in terms of what his priorities are versus what we, what we saw out of uh, Speaker Chatfield. Um, so remains to be seen. Cool. Hey, USF, uh, Rep. Robbie, this is Kevin Pibus over at True Cannabis. Um, I was up at the uh, MICA summer annual that Ryan was referring to when you gave your social equity speech and uh, you had that place just just really fired up. And uh, it, I just wonder where where it is that you get your passion for politics from. And um, what was the moment that you had that that really told you it was time to back the cannabis movement? What was it that that motivated you to, 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 to be so forward about it um, when others haven't been? That's a great question, Kevin. Thank you. Um, and you guys can just call me Yusuf if you want. You wouldn't have to be so formal on the call. It's up to you. Um, but, uh, no, that was, it was really a pleasure to attend that conference. Um, and you know, I, I, I tend to speak from the heart. I don't usually prepare, uh, you know, comments beforehand. Um, and so that was really for me an opportunity to talk about some of the issues of why I'm passionate about, uh, you know, supporting the cannabis industry. Um, and frankly, I think that there's a huge opportunity right now for the cannabis industry to, to be a leader. Uh, in the social equity and social justice uh, movement, um, and that's really part of why I, you know, connected so strongly to to the to this space. Um, you know, was, uh, I mean, to be frank with you, I'm not uh, a cannabis user. You know, I I don't use cannabis regularly, um, but I so I'm not coming to it from the perspective of somebody that actually uses cannabis. But I am somebody that is passionate about it because of the criminal justice uh, aspect of it. Um, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect that I've always talked about is um, is the safety aspect of it, right? All these people are always arguing, you know, uh, against uh, legalizing cannabis because they say, oh, you know, it's a gateway drug, it's this, it's that, all these arguments that they always use. And so my argument for legalization was always like, hey, this is an opportunity for us to, to bring it into a space where, you know, where there's more 
safeguards and uh, and and rules and regulations around how cannabis is grown and how you know it you know consumer safety is really important to me as well. Making sure that people who are using cannabis are using it safely and that the product that they're using is is extremely safe. Um, so that's another space where I think you know there's a lot of passion. But the core for me is really saying, okay, we have this this war on drugs that has failed our country. It is it has failed because you know. And I was on a call actually with Ryan uh, not too long ago where I talked about this. But you know where where we we are in a space right now where we're seeing all this overt racism and you know these groups that are coming out and. Uh, uh, you know, displaying their, you know, uh, Confederate flags and stuff like that. And to me, that is the tip of the iceberg of a system that is inherently racist. And so, and what we saw with the war on drugs over the last several decades is that systematic racism playing out day to day on the streets of America, where black and brown individuals were getting arrested at higher rates, getting locked up at higher rates. And now we have a system, now that we've transitioned into a legal market where um, unfortunately we're seeing a lot of opportunities for our, you know, uh, you know, basically white individuals getting into the market where the folks that were that were in the market um, doing stuff that is legal now are currently in jail or are currently uh, have these criminal records that don't allow them to get jobs, that don't allow them to earn uh, a living to grow the capital necessary to start a cannabis business and really creating that uh, the continuation of that systematic racism today that that makes it so that only some people can get involved in the industry. And so part of my passion now is how do we make sure that everybody has a space in this cannabis industry that is able to access the, uh, you know, this this burgeoning market. And one of the ways I think we should be doing that is that we should be outwardly looking for people that have had cannabis convictions in the past and giving them reducing the barriers to entry into the industry whether that's you know licensing whether that's capitalization requirements helping them to get into the to the legal cannabis industry because i think that's a matter of justice it's a matter of restoring something that society has put as a burden on those individuals again whether a criminal record or years in jail and restoring them to a to a level playing field frankly um and and giving them an opportunity to enter back into the space that they had been criminalized for in the past so that's a passion of mine that's something that really has got me involved in this space but there's so many opportunities um to break down these barriers and that's really what i'm what i'm here and passionate about yeah, the uh, hey, Rep. Robbie, Tom with uh, Real Leaf. How you doing? Doing well, thanks, Tom. As a self-made uh, cannabis business person, as is Kevin here, um, you see, we come from a different position, kind of a unique position, where we have overcome a lot of the hurdles, and we know firsthand exactly what the barriers are for entry in in order for people to get into the cannabis industry. I said it before, I really believe there needs to be some kind of bridge a program that has that allows uh, people that are coming out of jail for our, once we've actually achieved, you know, getting freeing people for cannabis convictions, getting them down a pathway if they would like to enter the whether it's like maybe they want a job, you know, there isn't like a, a place as a business owner to go that specifically says, hey, this person was, you know, this person has done time. They're a grower. Maybe they're amazing. 
but now they mm-hmm. can't work in the industry. If we can get those barriers down, if there was some kind of, you know, database that we could, you know, look at, if there is a specified, um, like employment type agency or something that, that we could develop in order to give people a, you know, more of a single line to employment in the industry, that would be helpful for us, you know, for us as business people, like what we can do directly to help impact the, um, you know, the, the social inequity that's, that's happened, especially for people that, you know, people of color, you know, for us, you know, we need, we also need the resources to have access to those people and know who they are. And uh, that would be extremely helpful for us. You know, I, I do think that there are other industries that also could bear some of this, uh, you know, the fact that the first um, African-American owned brewery just opened at the end of 2020 in Grand Rapids uh, after, you know, decades and decades of the craft brewing rush in Michigan being one of the best, you know, states for beer, let alone cannabis, um, you know, for other industries to step up and say, yeah, this is this is true for cannabis, but it's true everywhere in this whole country. We know what people have been screaming about it for for decades and decades. And, you know, there needs to be some kind of type of consensus as business owners and as, um, you know, state government really need to work together to see what we can do. I love those ideas. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And that's what we should be thinking about. I like the idea of doing of having a uh, of a database almost of saying like, hey, these are the people that, you know, that did time. This is what they have experience in and and a great opportunity for folks to hire them. And I think you're right that 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 there needs to be, uh, frankly, uh, black ownership, black business ownership, you know, just as as it, it needs to grow across the board. Um, you're absolutely right about that. Your example about the breweries is spot on. Um, and, and I think in this space, in addition to employment, what I've tried to emphasize is ownership is key. Ownership is key because uh, people get to, you know, uh, uh, plot their own destinies, build their own generational wealth uh, that has been taken away for so many generations from black and brown people in this country. Ownership helps to rebuild that. And so in addition to what you're saying around, you know, making those uh, uh, hiring practices, uh, you know, that, that, that are specific to folks that are currently or past, you know, incarcerated, uh, but also looking at ways that we can expand business ownership. I think that's spot on. Those are all great ideas. Um, and that's exactly what we need to be looking at right now uh, in this country and in this state. Um, and the other the other piece, uh, getting back to Kevin's earlier question that that got me, I think one of the, the hooks that got me really interested in the cannabis space too, is, is the medicinal aspect uh, of cannabis and how it has helped countless people to overcome diseases and ailments uh, across uh, the, the spectrum of different types of diseases and ailments and, and to just see and hear from those individuals who have been personally impacted by the medicinal beneficial qualities of cannabis. That has been um, really remarkable to me and something that I wasn't personally aware of until, uh, until I actually got um, involved and elected um, to uh, the office of county commissioner and then state representative. So we have we have a lot of work to do to educate people on all of these issues, um, and this industry has has a role to play in that. Cannabis can heal the world. Right on. Uh, like I said, Rep. Uh, Rep. Robbie, uh, you know, in the past, uh, 
it, you know, it's almost criminal, the hypocrisy of how cannabis has been treated over time um, to not even deem it have any kind of medicinal value whatsoever for the last 60 years. I mean, it's it, literally it's criminal. Um, we're finding out every single day uh, a new use for it. There's been um, talks about it having an effect on COVID. Uh, I mean, it's just unbelievable that the denial could could run so deep. And like I said, it, it, it's it's to me, it's borderline criminal. And I, I feel like at some point somebody should be held accountable for where we're at in today's society uh, when it comes to, to marijuana and, and marijuana specifically as a medicine. And that's where I think you start looking at, you know, industries like the prison industrial complex and all the people that have benefited from the incarcerations that have occurred, whether it's private companies that own the jails. Frankly, in the state of Michigan, we had a private company running food services for a long oh, yeah. time, which we then switched out of that, thankfully. But all the people that have benefited from a massive uh, rate of incarceration in this country are the people that frankly owe reparations to the people that have been incarcerated, uh, you know, of all, uh, you know, uh, um, different backgrounds that, that have been incarcerated because of this. And frankly, to the people that have suffered and in many cases, uh, frankly, died. I think people that are, you know, whether it's people that are suffering from mental health issues or physical ailments that were not treated with cannabis um, early on, that maybe, you know, got conventional uh, drugs and medicine that didn't work for them and suffered uh, or in some cases passed away because of that, their families are owed something from a government that has continued to perpetuate this and frankly, from private industry that's benefited from it. And the other side of it, in addition to the prison industrial complex, is the pharmaceutical industries that have, I think, been part of the agenda to push cannabis into of course. a space where people didn't, you know, uh, didn't see it as a medicinal quality because it's 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 cheaper, it's natural, it's something that uh, people can, you know, access more easily. Pharmaceutical companies aren't making money off of that, and so. They are part of the problem and they're part of the group that owes reparations, frankly, to the people that have been targeted by the war on drugs. Yep, I, I agree with that. Maybe we should go and uh, and see uh, what kind of generational wealth uh, William Randolph Hearst family has. Absolutely. Aunts, uh, Harry Anslinger, uh, you know, any statues, anything like that with his name off on. Uh, when, I, when I was in prison, we learned a lot about the you know who owned and who had the contracts to the food it's like Keith you yep. know like that was all the bushes and then you know they were teamed up on on this big family and that all got that was all a, a racket a complete racket you know me personally I'm all for some 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 good capitalism but not when you're not when it's it's uh you benefit you know people will find a way uh, when it's human lives, like to put more people in jail, the lobby. It's continuing well, slavery. Really. Yeah, it's it's yeah. bullshit on that on that end of it. Same thing with uh, you know the way uh, you know I was in the insurance industry, watching claims get denied, and uh, also in, in medicine, it kind of I believe in it for a lot of spots, but not when it's 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 talk. We're talking about the human being, and and you know because capitalism, in my opinion, doesn't uh, treat you know not everyone's got a good heart out there. But yeah, speaking of that, um. You know, Michigan right now, we, you mentioned uh, the, 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 the Zoom meeting call we were on for the Michigan Cannabis Caucus of the, the Democratic Party we put together and with the state uh, clemency program that Norm Reimer is doing with the uh, National Attorneys, uh, National uh, Association of De uh, Defense Lawyers. And he was uh, under President Obama, his his clemency guy. And, and we're excited about that. And, and you know, we're, we got people like you and 
and others. Uh, but we got uh, way I look at it, then the national groups are starting to really focus in on Michigan based on our legislatures. Uh, we had two county prosecutors there, our mm -hmm. activists, our AG. And uh, the way I look at it, there's always a, a law of unintended consequences for things. So, you know, we got the, the marijuana community, someone like you know, me, Kevin, Tom, a lot of people, we got weaponized. We, we got we got raided. We had friends, kids taken away. I mean, we we really got weaponized in Michigan and so many people that know about uh, they got abused by, you know, our horrible civil for asset forfeiture law that we finally you helped finally get fixed uh, last year in our 18 uh, 19. And, um, you know, so we're looking at that. So on that state clemency program, we have the AG's support. We got a lot of we got prosecutor support. We got all these great people. We really need to uh, we really need to get the governor's support. I mean, is that do you have any suggestions um, on that? Because this is a program where they're looking at us to lead lead the nation right now. And I think it's I think it's a win 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 for anyone involved. Yeah, I mean, I think we all need to be part of that. It's it's something that, uh, you know, there needs to be a, a growing chorus on. And obviously the MDP Cannabis Caucus and, many, you know, all three of you on this call, uh, you know, have really have, have been part of. Um, and, you know, I as an elected official, you know, can advocate, have advocated, uh, you know, people like Jeff Irwin, senators, representatives, all that. But at the end of the day, we need the public at large to be looking at this issue and reacting, sending their, um, you know, comments to the governor's office via email, via phone. There's so many ways that people can connect and, and make sure that they're supporting this cause. Um, and it's a very specific ask, right? I mean, we're asking the governor to to lean in on some of these recommendations and to say, yes, we're going to, you know, uh, pardon and, and shorten sentences. That's what we need to be looking at and getting everybody involved in that process. It needs to be an all hands on deck effort in order for it to succeed, because that that political will comes from the people. Um, there's an election coming up. That's all part of the equation. Getting people involved right now today. You know, we have again, two years until that election, but we need people start that, that drumbeat needs to start uh, getting a little louder right now. I totally, totally agree. And we're, we're going to really start beating the drum as, as hard as we can. Um, you know, like we got the momentum right now and, and uh, it's not, we, yeah. we're, we're used to not having it. So it's the time. Right. And the other thing I'll say too, is like you said, Ryan, on that call, we had two County prosecutors that are very supportive. Um, mm -hmm. Two is, fantastic, but there's 83 counties in the state of Michigan. And uh, there's work to be done over the next four years until every four years is how prosecutors are elected in the state of Michigan. Um, we have four years to prepare for getting more of our good people elected to prosecuting attorneys offices across the state. And, uh, you know, Ellie Savitt is a friend of mine, somebody that awesome. I think is showing great promise in terms of the stuff that he's going to do in Washtenaw County for criminal justice reform. But again, that's Washtenaw County. It's great. It's, you know, 340,000 people, uh, you know, live in our county. But there are, there are, and Ingham County, of course, has a prosecutor as well that's very friendly. Yeah, uh, and Love absolutely, absolutely, who's been great on these issues. Uh, but we have work to do. So let's, let's start that too, looking at how we can get good prosecutors elected. I know we all have friends that are, you know, in that space, attorneys, people that understand how this all works. Let's start recruiting good candidates, getting them, you know, shaped up and ready to go now because uh, four years sounds like a long time. It's not that much time when it comes to elections and politics. So let's get our people ready to go 
we got, uh, you know, 81 counties left. And that does just, by the way, make a huge impact when you have a county prosecutor stepping up and advocating for things like this uh, clemency project or criminal justice reform. They are the ones that decide, you know, you know what charges to press, how to press the charges and so on, how, how to make that uh, prosecution in court. They're the ones that make those decisions. It makes a huge impact on how these cases play out across our state. So we need allies in every single county um, in this state. And we already have an ally at the state level with the attorney general. But, you know, the way that our politics and our criminal justice system works in the state, we need those allies everywhere. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of work to be done. It does seem like things are rolling in the right direction, though. Uh, it's, I can't even imagine in your position, where do you even start with everything that, you know, you would say that's on your plate that needs to be done, all the injustices across the board, so many things to look at in the state with our natural resources protecting our water. We see you have a really great track record on um, environmental uh, stewardship, um, lobbying for sensible banking and cannabis, which really helps people like us who have to deal with 280E. And if people don't right. know what 280E, it's, it is a huge burden upon the cannabis industry. And it actually puts a lot of restrictions on what we as businesses can and cannot write off. So it's nice to hear, you know, bring in other businesses kind of, let's all shoulder the burden of, of injustice. Um, you know, I did have another thought, um, and we could probably get off of um, off of a podcast, have an even further discussion. But um, you know, business owners that are looking to get into cannabis, not just getting a job if you want to open your own business in Michigan and you're accepting social equity assistance, maybe there should be some programs where people that already have licenses could be perhaps free you know free consulting services with all the stuff that you have to go through in order just to get up and going there's so right. much and every day it's changing you know i think a thing where the local businesses that's something people can do like i can help someone if they have questions on how to field an inspection or you know or how do i do this in metric and things like that those are things we can do and it'd be nice to have you know, a program where existing business owners can reach out to people that are, um, you know, that are actually engaging in the social equity assistance and getting things moving, you know, to help people out. That's fantastic. I think a type of mentorship program is what you're talking about, which I think is awesome. Yeah, mentorship. Exactly. Great idea. Yeah. No, that, that's a great idea. I think that's, I think that's spot on. And on the banking issue, uh, it was really powerful when we introduced that um, resolution because obviously we, there's only so much we can do at the state level. We need the federal government to act on this too. But we had uh, the backing of uh, the, the banking association in the state of Michigan. They're on board. They are supportive of this resolution. They want the law changed. I bet. Just they as you do. Money. They want your money, baby. And uh, but but it's you know that's how you build political power on these yeah. issues. Is you bring allies together, non-traditional. I mean, it was you know we we remarked. I think I was talking to Robin Schneider, you know, we were like, who would have thought in a million years that we'd have a cannabis event in the offices of the Bankers Association? And it was the bankers and the cannabis industry and us elected officials all in the same room rolling out this this bill or this resolution. And that's powerful. That That's how you build that kind of momentum. It's like a Baptist so, high school dance or something. Everyone on each side <laughs> of the room and you can't dance. Keep enough space in between yourself. You gotta have right? Jesus between you. Yeah, that's right. 
Hey, Youssef, just to pivot for a second, um, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, uh, you know, getting more people involved. Um, as as the, um, the the legislation is rolled out for regulating uh, retail businesses, um, we've we've yet to really see an explosion of, of uh, communities uh, wanting to participate. We're, we've only got about 75 or 80 communities um, across the, the state participating. Um, what do we got to do different to get other people involved? Um, do, you, do you see a commission being being formed to try to uh, rally the troops of uh, of the industry, uh, all the players, state you know the state state people, and 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 uh, maybe some of the, the business owners to try to try to branch out there and and, and and get some expansion? Yeah, I love the idea of a commission. I think that would be really helpful. Um, I think some of it is going to be, you know, a, a lot of it is going to be sort of momentum, right? I mean. I think the other communities are going to look at the, the those that have opted in and they're going to say, we're missing out. This is a huge opportunity that we're missing out on. And uh, because of the impact of the local tax base, the and so I think what what should be happening in some ways is if, if you can work with your local elected officials to kind of say, you know, what's happening with the revenue that the local government is generating? What kinds of projects are you able to do now that you weren't able to do before? Or in this case, maybe it's the impact of uh, of budget reductions because of COVID are lessened because we have marijuana businesses in these communities paying, uh, you know, taxes that are helping the local community to survive. But just getting a sense of how that money, how that tax uh, revenue is being used, and then uh, championing that and putting it out there and saying like, hey, the communities that are that have opted in, they've been able to invest in five new. Uh, you know, police cruisers and a new fire truck or something like that, whatever they've invested in, um, or a new community center, or they're able to have art programs now that they weren't able to have before. What did they do with the money? And then and then championing that out so that other communities can look at that and say, hey, we need to buy a new fire truck. Maybe this is a good time for us to, you know, open our township up to, you know, cannabis businesses. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. Um, and then I think the other side of it too is, is again, getting back to the more social issues as well. I think in some cases, that's where you can make a stronger argument of saying, you know, the whether it's access to medicine, whether it's, um, you know, access to, uh, you know, changing the dynamics around uh, the criminal justice system. I think there's communities where that really resonates, uh, you know, a lot more. Um, so there's different messages in different places. And I think, I do think that there's a momentum issue that will just take some time, but we'll get there. But I, I do like the idea of a commission as well to, to kind of be one of the engines to get that message out. Yeah, I think, you know, through my experience, Ryan and Tom will both, I think, back me on this. Um, you know, when I've gone to communities, it seems that there's a lot of fear. One, that somehow that they're going to be prosecuted for their involvement. Um, two, they're unsure on how the, the money would be distributed. Um, and three, they definitely don't believe me. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, I think it having having the backing of uh, maybe the director of the program, Andrew Brisbo, uh, maybe some state reps or, or some state representatives um, to 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 be able to approach them and give them logic to how the program works and that they're going to have protection and that they're that that it's going to be beneficial. I think that would help a ton. Yeah, and I think that's part of why to you know some of the things that I talked about in my speech at the at the Cannabis Industry Association and some of the things we already talked about on this call around the uh, civil rights and, and social justice aspect of it is, you know, if if people of color don't see themselves in this industry, they're not going to be advocates for, you know, this industry. And in some cases where you have 
you know, uh, communities that are predominantly communities of color, they're not going to be as trustworthy of, you know, uh, frankly, white business owners coming into town and telling them what they should be doing. So you really have to create a space. I think it's ultimately beneficial for the industry to be looking at how do we make a more diverse industry and include more people in the economic success of this industry, because ultimately it helps, you know, to expand the, the trust and expand the circle of people advocating for this, this space. Um, and I, I do think that's a big part of it. So yeah, I think that's part of the equation as well. Well, with regard to having, getting more communities to opt in, uh, could we have say maybe a website that has statements from the communities that have opted in? Like Kalkaska is a great example. I see it every day. Right. You know, there are a lot of places are being, all the shuttered businesses are starting to come back to life slowly. There's a lot of growth happening here. If you could somehow get statements from the municipalities, like, hey, you know, opting in has done this for our community. And if even if there was a short list, like you were saying, of what was positive, what they've been able to do with the money and have it all in one place. And if they're like, I don't know if we should opt in, say, go check this out. There's a list of places that have opted in. This is their experience. And it's all and makes it easy for, you know, one place for people to just kind of reference. And because that is the biggest hurdle at this point is how many communities have opted in? 80 out of. <laughs> yeah, just under many? 80, I think. Yeah. yeah. I don't know yeah. how many total communities there are in Michigan, but it's way more than 80. About 1,800. Uh, about 1,800. Right. Oh, okay. So oh. there's there's a lot of room. A lot of room for growth. And most of them, frankly, are townships um, that uh, in, in terms of the sheer number. But um, Lee, I think that's absolutely right. I think, you know, building building that list and saying this is their experience is right. And also, I think part of it, too, has to be, um, you know, them hearing from their constituents, because there's a lot of stigma and political uh, political um, will that, you know, is necessary in a lot of these cases. And really showing people that, I mean, number one, we passed Prop 1 across the state with, you know, a wide margin, you know, even in these rural areas and townships, conservative voters, liberal voters, every, you know, a lot of people voted for this and yeah, showing that, that want it. people want it and showing that that political will is there and that there will not be political consequences for, you know, people that that are voting to make communities, uh, you know, accessible to cannabis businesses. That's, I think, a big part of this. And so I so it, people calling their elected officials, uh, one call to a city council member or a township trustee at the local level can sometimes make a huge impact, especially when that township has two, three thousand people hearing from one constituent could make a, a big impact in those places. Yep, that's uh, that's awesome. And wanted to touch on this before before we have to. Uh wrap up uh, you, we talked on uh you know as far as getting these opportunities and that that's twofold for me as we you know we've had director brisbow on robin on a lot you know a lot of different people uh, in the know and obviously you were aware of it during lame duck there was a push to uh, possibly merge the acts uh you know as far as med and rec become one and you know, from our experience from the last decade of being in politics we we're, we're scared to death of lame duck um, especially with uh, who is in control of the House and Senate. So we pushed back against that, and that was fine. And it's also uh, you know, heavily do done with uh, Steve Linder's group, which we don't, we don't trust him at all and, uh, from, our, from our history. So 
um, you know, what are your thoughts on doing that right? And then on the second fold, um, the uh, the MRA's uh, racial equity work group came out yesterday, and uh, the headlines were a little misleading in the in the the stories. Uh, after it was corrected, the um, a lot of the the constituents said raising the taxes was last on their list. They don't want to do that. So there was a lot big blowback. I think a lot of us feel like. Uh, Raising taxes hurts uh, our competing with the illicit market. Our goal is to have where somebody can go into a store and get a better product at a better price tested than they can on the street. And that's how you beat the illicit market. You don't arrest your way out of a prohibition, obviously, which people are supporting. But I'm a big proponent of taking money away from the police or of somewhere. I'm a big um big supporter of that but uh what are your thoughts on the merging of the act and uh you know it's going to come up and we really need to watch that to make sure things don't go sideways because there's going to be a push to limit grows get rid of home grows and go after caregivers right on yeah so uh, i lost you for a brief segment there uh where you were talking about you know not investing in police but investing in something else but I'll, I'll try to get to that too. Um, but in terms of the merging of the two acts, I approach all of that with an extreme amount of caution. Um, and part of that is because uh, the citizens voted on, you know, proposal one, the citizens voted, uh, you know, in 2008 to legalize medical. So making sure that we are maintaining the spirit of what the citizens voted on is my number one priority. And this, And the citizens did vote to allow for home grow. They did vote to allow for a lot of these things that, uh, that that people are looking at maybe tweaking or taking out. We have to protect those things, in my opinion. Home grow is very important. Um, and that is a big part of, of, of decriminalization, frankly, in this space. So we need to protect those, those features. I am always very uh, leery when, um, you know, a consortium of uh, well-financed, large, uh, you know, uh, uh, businesses kind of come together and try to push for policy change that benefits them. Um, we need to make sure that whatever we do with this industry, we are doing it in a way that is equitable, that allows for people to get into this in industry space, not just as employees, but as owners as well. We want to create a diverse industry, not just racially, but you know, diverse from a business capitalization standpoint. There's room for big businesses, but there also needs to be room for small businesses you know, single mom and pop cannabis shops, that kind of thing is very important. And we, whatever we do with this space from a regulation standpoint, we need to make sure to protect that. So those are the kind of things that I'm looking at when it comes to merging the two acts. I don't personally, I know that, um, you know, Brisbo is obviously very passionate about merging. It's, it's not something that, uh, it's not on my top priority list in terms of what we need to do. Yes, it would streamline his regulatory process I get that. I hear that. Um, and maybe there's some opportunities to improve. But overall, this is not my top priority um, unless we can get some good positive changes uh, built into that. And then in terms of, you know, the bigger picture around, you know, what our tax dollars are being used for. I, you know, I frankly agree that, you know, uh, we, we are over policing our communities. I think we saw a lot of that throughout the, the summer with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the outcry around how police are using the resources that they're using. And I, I do believe that there's other ways that we could spend resources that frankly would have a much more positive impact on uh, on our communities. In fact, you know, one, one of the things I, I was having a conversation during all of that with 
um, one of our uh, police officers here in 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 Ann Arbor. And you know, one of the things that he t- told me I thought was very eye-opening, um, which was basically, you know, society has defunded and unfunded so many things: schools, uh, mental health care, all these different programs. And then suddenly you have a situation where society is kind of shoving all of these uh, issues. There's no there's nowhere for them to go. And so law enforcement is kind of the last line of defense, I guess. And they're the ones that have to deal with a lot of these things. And so in my mind, if we can find resources to invest in uh, things like mental health care, like schools, like those types of programs, um, we are we are alleviating social problems before they get to the point where somebody's calling a police officer to their home, um, that's those are the kinds of things that we should be looking at, frankly. Yeah, and frankly, a lot of times, what um, one of the things that he told me too was like, I would love for every time one of my officers responds to a call, for there to be a social worker in the seat next to, next to him or her. That I think is a really good idea too, so that you have social workers actually responding to these crises that people are having and people that are trained in the the art of of evaluating how somebody is doing from a mental health standpoint and helping them to de-escalate um we should be looking at that kind of thing too i think that would really help to solve and heal um communities without you're not using force in those instances you're using uh social work and mental health care in a much more compassionate and different way and that was something that that he invited that conversation he said i would love for my police officers to be responding with those people by their side because it would help in those cases uh, dramatically. So we, that's how we should be using those resources, frankly, th- those tax dollars. Yeah, that's uh, without a doubt. We're seeing a little bit of uh, some change take place in Lansing on that. That's exciting. Just learning about what it costs if someone's having a mental, a homeless person's having a mental health issue, possibly. Well, right now, their old policy, send a fire department, send a couple of police. And how much tax dollars is that when maybe it's uh, an officer and a social worker going on, figuring it out and, and trying to actually get some right. some help for that person besides, you know, lock, you know, throwing them in for a little bit, letting them back out and, and he didn't do anything. So right. uh, I'm excited to hear about, uh, on those changes, just common sense stuff. Hopefully everybody gets behind. But with that, um, and we could talk all day. Uh, we do got some hard outs, and I wanted to give uh, everyone a chance to say goodbye and, and wrap up. So, uh, Kevin, over at True Cannabis. Yeah, Rep. Robbie, I just wanted to take a moment real quick to, uh, to thank you for all your support over the years. Um, everything that you do, um, it's it's from a, a good good. You have a good heart, and you're and you're, and you're always approaching it from a common sense uh, standpoint. We really appreciate that. We uh, we really appreciate all your support. You, you, some of these things haven't been able to have been done without people like yourself and and Jeff Irwin, and and uh, and we couldn't be uh, more pleased to have you guys uh, along for the ride. Thanks, brother. Yeah, Kevin, right on. Uh, you pretty much nailed it, man. Thank you for committing your life to fighting the good fight. You know, without people like you, I couldn't imagine what kind of world we would be living in. So thank you. It's a big sacrifice. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. Agreed. And you said, if you want to like, say goodbye to the audience, any parting shots, words of wisdom, uh, future plans, whatever you think. <laughs> Well, today, today's an important day, you know, historically. And I just, I just want to thank you and the rest of the team for having me on here. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do in this country, in the state, um, and in each of our local communities to, to heal our country. And frankly, I think a big part of that is, you know, is, 
is seen in the conversation that we had today. And one of the underlying themes is stay involved. Uh, you know, whether it's the governor or whether it's your local elected official, make sure that you're contacting them, letting you them know how you feel about all of these issues. Everybody can make a difference. And I know that from personal experience, because in my first election, when I was running to replace Jeff Irwin on the County Board of Commissioners back in 2010, I won that first election by one vote. Hmm. One single vote is the reason that I'm here with you today. As a state representative, I credit that. And every time I run into people in my community, people still say I was that one vote. And to each of them, they're absolutely correct. And you too can be that one vote, that one voice, that one person that steps up, that speaks out, and that makes a difference in your community, in your state, and in your country. So thanks again for having me on, guys. Um, and uh, look forward to all the great work we're going to continue to do together. Thank you so much, Rep. Robbie. And um, just that uh, really drove home the point that we've mentioned before. We've been, I feel lucky to have been able to be a part of uh, the last uh, decade and a little bit longer of, of uh, criminal justice and cannabis reform, and a lot like us. And there's there's so many new people in the industry um, that are learning about it or wish they could, or, you know, think about it. Like, it's, we, we need a lot of help right now. So uh, get involved, uh, you know, your local officials where the marijuana community and industry is infiltrating. I call you know like the next 10 years there's school boards ptas we're in all parts of the community as cannabis professionals we're seeing it us <laughs> around lansing so um right on please uh you know call your local rep you know like in the city of lansing there's always three or four kind of nutty ladies from the south side that they got crazy uh, political capital because they come to every meeting and they talk you know that's what it takes show up doesn't matter who you are but believe in it and uh, let's keep pushing this forward. <laughs> so thanks so much, uh, Rep. Robbie, for being on. Thanks for fighting with us. And uh, um, I, I'm sure we'll have you back and uh, excited about some some progress that we've made. So thanks again. Thank you. See you guys. Bye. The Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncana.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.